This gospel today is a little bit disturbing. There are a number of things that were said in there that uh, kind of make you wrinkle your nose a little bit and say, what exactly is Jesus meaning? Uh, I would love to uh, talk about that, but I'm not going to. <laughs> you should have heard Christopher Brewer this morning. He did an amazing job in the Word and Table service on the, in that regard. But I felt pulled in my heart, and sometimes I do, actually feel the Holy Spirit pulling at me. And uh, I, I felt pulled in my heart to talk about something that I'm not usually, I don't usually talk about. Um, I usually talk about, you know, how to suffer well. <laughs> and that life sometimes is in the land of the suck, right? So, so you're used to me talking about that because a lot of us, that's the reality of our experience. But today what I want to talk about isn't true all the time. But it is true some of the time. Um, it's, it's really a wisdom statement, a wisdom idea, not a law. You know, a law is something that is true every time, like the law of gravity, it's always in play. But wisdom is a thing that's generally true, right? It's wisdom to eat right and to exercise, right? That's a wise thing to do because often when you do that, you live longer. But if you eat right and exercise, sometimes you don't live longer, I mean, sometimes you, you know, you, you're irrespective of your efforts to eat right and to exercise, you can end up with a disease that terminates your life early, or you can walk out in the street, get hit by a bus. I mean, nobody thinks, oh my gosh, how did she get hit by the bus? She ate right and exercised. I mean, you know that even though it's wisdom to do that, it's not a law that every time you do it, you're going to live longer, right? Um, uh, Father Paul is in the hospital this morning, and uh, he, um, uh, it, 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 he has what's called rhabdomyolysis. It's um, kind of a, what happens is when you enter into a really high workout program without working up to it, it can send your system into crazyville. And that's exactly what he did. He joined this past week or week and a half. He joined this group. Like it's not CrossFit, but something that real high energy. And he wasn't used to doing that. He was used to running and that kind of, he's pretty fit, but he was really going after it. And sometime on this rhabdomyolysis, myolysis, it, it's a serious syndrome that's really a direct result of muscle or indirect result of muscle injury. And it, it can it can actually start causing the death of muscle fibers. And, uh, and then it releases the contents of the muscle into the bloodstream. So the measurement from the blood level is called CPK level, and the normal level is 150. So on Thursday, he started feeling really weird. He couldn't bring his hand up to his mouth and, or to wipe his nose, and the staff was mocking him because our staff is cruel. <laughs> really no mercy. It's just a difficult thing. But uh, his level, instead of being at 100 to 150, was 89,000. He walked into the urgent care. They did that level and threw him into the hospital, started pumping on Thursday night, started pumping uh, all this stuff into him. And he has come down. He jumped from 89,000 to about 49,000. Then yesterday it was down to 41,000. So he's going to be in the hospital until he gets to at least 10,000. They'll let him out. So let's just for a moment, in fact, stand with me. Let's pray for our precious Father Paul. Father, thank you that you are aware of everything that touches our lives, and you are aware of Paul. We ask you right now, by the power of your Holy Spirit, let healing flow his way. And God, by your precious mercy, begin to cause his body to turn right. This can be so dangerous.
We ask you that the, the doctors will have unusual wisdom and that his body will restore quickly. We ask you for your mercy in this regard through Christ our Lord. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Thank you for that. Okay, so to get, again, today I'm talking about something that isn't true all the time. It's sometimes true. It's not a law, it's wisdom. And here's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about that idea that you are in control of more than you may think. You're actually in control of more than you may think. Um, there's a text in Deuteronomy 30 and verse 19 that is starting in verse 19 that, that is out of the lectionary for today. We didn't read it, uh, openly read it in the first service, but this is what it says. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. Choose life. See, God is telling the Jews here that you have a choice. You got life, you got death, you got blessing, you got cursing. And then, like any great waiter, God makes the suggestion, I would choose life if I were you. <laughs> right? In our gospel reading, Jesus was challenging us to think about each other and to deal with each other, carrying certain attitudes and behaviors that have outcomes that are predictable, which is to say that life doesn't just happen to us that we can direct our lives intentionally in ways that build, in ways that strengthen, or in ways that decay and hurt. And this may sound scary at first, you know, like, you know, this can sound like, oh, are you saying that everything that happens to me is my fault, right? There can be a scariness when you look at your life and it's kind of disheveled or in pain and to suggest that you have more control than you realize can immediately start making you think, are you saying that my life and the pain of my life is my fault? But, but even though I, I'm not saying that because it's not only you involved, I'll come back to that in a second, but you don't have to just be scared of a statement like that. It also brings hope because if you have something, the reason it's ringing like that is because I'm supposed to be on the stage, but I just don't want to be on the stage today. <laughs> um, it's also hopeful to realize that you have something to say about your life. Uh, it's, if it's true that humans control more than what we think, it means that you and I have a lot to say about how happy our lives can be. I'm suggesting to you that if you and I learn how things work, and if we work it, that we can keep good things we enjoy coming into our lives, and we can resist bad things and push them out of our lives. Now, it's not as simple as that, the way I'm saying it right there. Uh, but there's lots of truth in what I'm saying there. Lots of people, many, many people, believe that whatever is was destined to be. They think that humans have very little to do with the outcome of their lives. That things that happen, happen because it's under God's influence or God's sphere. Things only happen, these folks contend, because of God's sovereignty. That human beings don't really cause anything to happen that God wouldn't have done anyway. That kind of idea. And this group would argue that our thoughts, our beliefs, our actions are more of an aside 
Because God will do what God will do irrespective of what humans will do. Lots of people think this way. Now, I think in some cases that is true, that God's will prevails. You take a text like Romans 5. It says, you see that at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. See, I don't think human beings governed any part of that plan. That was God's plan. But just because God controls some things does not mean that God controls all things. Um, If God had really wanted to create a world where humans couldn't control things, then why did he create a world filled with laws? Laws so specific, so predictable that we can actually send a person to the moon and predict within a fraction of a second when he or she will land there. What if God created laws precisely so that human beings could have more control over their lives? Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 3, All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. And you are Christ and Christ is God, is of God. Another place Paul says in Galatians 6, don't be deceived. God is not mocked for you reap whatever you So, these texts assert that the way we participate in the world God created is much like the way a farmer predicts or participates with nature. A farmer who wants the earth to yield a corn crop has to learn how to cooperate, right, with nature to get it. Nature does not select the kind of harvest a farmer has. It waits for the farmer to decide. The farmer has control. The farmer is in charge, right? The farmer makes the choice. The farmer predicts the future of the field by the kind of seed that the farmer puts into the ground. See, life in God works the same way for you and for me a lot of the time. Not every time, but a lot of the time. God doesn't determine on his own how wonderful our lives are. To some degree, we control the level of success we enjoy in our marriages. We control the level of success we enjoy in our finances, in our careers, in our parenting role. Based on whether or not we cooperate with the general wisdom of God that's in place in the world. We can have happiness or heartache on purpose. Listen to what the next part of Galatians 6, where he says, well, you, reap, you, sow what you, you reap what you sow. This is Galatians 6 out of the Message Bible. Don't be misled. No one makes a fool of God. What a person plants, he will harvest. The person who plants selfishness, ignoring the needs of others, ignoring God, harvests a crop of weeds. And he'll have to show for his life, all he'll have to show for his life is weeds. But the one who plants in response to God, letting God's spirit do the growth work in him, harvests a crop of real life, eternal life. See, we grow whatever it is that we want to grow. And the truth is, 
You and I are doing that now. The fruit of our lives oftentimes is just the sum total of the kinds of things that we've been participating in. Learning how to work with this principle doesn't make it work. It works all the time. But learning how it works helps us to work it to our advantage instead of letting it spin out to our disadvantage. Newton's third law of motion states, for every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. That's just another way of expressing the idea of sowing and reaping. Jesus Christ showed us how this works in our relationships with people. He said in Luke chapter six, do not judge and you won't be judged. So judge, you get judged. Do not condemn. You won't reap it. You won't be condemned. Pardon, and you will be pardoned. Give, and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. If you want something different, sow something different. That means if you smile at someone, she will most likely smile back. If you're mean to a person, chances are he will be mean back to you. If you're genuine and kind to others, you're almost certain to have others express kindness back to you in return. If you're critical of everything and everyone, you can expect a hefty dose of critical judgment from others back to your life. You will reap what you sow, what you put out. This works for everyone, everywhere, all the time, whether anyone understands it or not. It's the way it works. There's a story of a rancher out west who um, received a visit from his pastor, and the pastor is a relatively pious fellow. And uh, so the rancher's showing him around the property with, you know, with the well-maintained buildings, outbuildings and fences and manicured lawn. I mean, the, the place was just beautiful. And the pastor declared to the guy rather piously, my, how God has blessed this property. And in a rather straightforward way, the rancher replied, I guess, but you should have seen it when God had it all by himself. <laughs> If we're not careful, those of us who are God followers will be guilty of something Jesus Christ warned about in Matthew 25 in his parable of the talents where he urged people to work with potential that had been given them by God. They were to work it and to be wise and to be diligent and be perceptive and discerning. And he warned that some people that were given potential that they would shift to a kind of an orientation to the sovereignty of God, that they would basically do nothing and resign themselves to God's in control and to fate. In other words, they joined the Doris Day crowd <laughs> singing the old song, K Sarah, Sarah, what will be, will be. So some of you that are too young don't get that, and it's very unfortunate for you. But the song goes, when I was just a little girl, I asked my mother, what will I be? Will I be pretty? Will I be rich? Here's what she said to me. Que sera, sera. Whatever will be, will be. 
The future's not ours to see. Que sera, sera. Now, some people think that's in the creed. <laughs> in other words, humans don't have to do jack because God does it all. Jesus said that this group buried their potential in the ground and God was not happy about it. Now, let me say this in a very overly simplistic way. How good or bad your marriage is, how good or bad your friendships are, how good or bad your career is faring basically rests on you. Oh, that's so cruel. Now, of course, there are outside forces that make things better or worse. And it's not true that it's really all on you. Remember, this is not a law. It's wisdom. Sometimes, right? So, for example, a farmer may cooperate with nature and sow seed, but then the weather may go crazy, may be too cold, or maybe there'll be some too many storms, or there might be an infestation of some kind of bugs or bunnies, and then their crop fails, right? So you can do everything right, and your life still fall into the land of the suck. Right? So I'm really not telling you you're responsible for everything because some of you have been victimized by forces outside of yourself. Sometimes negative forces do win. You can do everything right and still might lose your marriage. You can do everything right. Some initiatives that you make to advance your life may still fail. The economy may bottom out. You find yourself without a job and it's not because of your sowing and reaping. Or a meteor could hit the Midwest and wipe out millions. Or you live in Tornado Alley, it could wipe out your house and it had nothing to do with whether you tithed or not. <laughs> right? The Spanish flu pandemic that happened in 1918, not that long ago, was the deadliest flu on record. One of the reasons that they're so reacting to things like the coronavirus is because they're trying to see if it might have the same mortality rate as something like the Spanish flu. It affected an estimated 500 million people on this planet, which was about half of who were living at the time. About one third of the planet, one third rather, of the planet was affected. And it killed an estimated 20 to 50 million people, which, including some 675,000 Americans, 1918. So the mortality rate, the reason they're so reacting about this coronavirus is because the mortality rate seems to be that or maybe exceeding that flu. That's why they have to fight to keep it contained. It can't just be released as a pandemic because it would kill so many people. So, something like that is not your sowing and reaping farble, right? Things happen. Life can be totally unfair. The trial of Job has historically hit more people than just one Job. And there are times, a day may come when you or I may experience unthinkable loss. Diligent, good, faithful people have terrible losses. So what I'm saying about you're in control isn't true all the time, but it's true some of the time. But even when pain comes, even when tragedy comes, even then when our lives seem to be in the domain of hell, 
we still have something to say about it. We can still respond in ways that mitigate the power of evil and begin to turn evil into good. That's how good God is. So let's talk about, I want to finish up with this. Let's talk about what to do when bad things seem to be winning the day, okay? I'm talking about, see, sometimes bad things come because we're on the wrong side of our own sowing and reaping. We really are idiots, right? All of us have been in the idiot zone. We have not taken our life seriously. We've simply reaped what we've sown. Sometimes that just is what it is. Other times we're victims of bad sowing and reaping of someone else. Other times bad comes because we're living in a crazy world that has lots of bad. And we end up, it comes, whether it's from the demonic, whether it's from culture, whether it's from some unknown force, it's not our fault at all, but we still experience bad. And sometimes bad comes because we're even pushing against God's will in our lives. And in some way, you remember God mugged Paul in Acts chapter 9. And when he's on the ground, Paul says, what's going on? And Jesus said, you're kicking against the goads. A goad is a thing that would, you know, move like the shepherd uses to kind of move the sheep. And sometimes we're resisting, resisting, resisting God. And sometimes God takes his hand off us and we experience problems that we wouldn't have experienced. It's called judgment. It's not like active hating. It's like God pulls back his protection. And sometimes then we have more trouble. So there's all kinds of reasons why trouble comes. And when trouble comes, a part of the moving forward is discernment. What's going on? Is this me? Is it my victim? What's going on here? Is this the demonic? Whatever. But in the midst of trouble, what I want to tell you, when it hits you, you don't always know what the causation is. So what can you do? Well, I think we can start by recognizing that we need to sow good in the midst of the evil that's happening that somehow God promises that good eventually wins no matter what's going on. This is Romans 8. It's great text to this end. And we know that in all things, everybody say in all things. We know that in all things, God works for good, for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. In all things, God's working for good, which means in all things is also bad things. Not that God sends the bad things. In spite of the bad things, God works. Right? Well, let me give you three real quick ideas about how to put good in motion when bad is happening to you. Number one, it's from the Old Testament. This would be the altar where they would sacrifice, the altar of mercy, and there were horns on the altar. I don't know where the horns came from, but they were there. And they would grab the horns of the altar. So when people got in trouble in the Old Testament or someone was in pursuit of their lives, right, they're going to die, they would run and grab hold of the horns of the altar. This is out of 1 Kings 2. When the news reached Joab, who had conspired with Adonijah, though not with Absalom, he fled to the tent of the Lord and took hold of the horns of the altar. The horns of the altar represented this holy place uh, with confidence and mercy that somehow that, that, that we could have refuge if we were fugitives in a particular situation and our lives were in the deep kimchi, right? That somehow we could be, we could be helped. Here's the New, New Testament version of this idea. Hebrews 4, let us then approach God's throne of grace, throne, with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us when we are in trouble, when we are in a time of need. Here's what I love about God. God, if your world is dark and your world is chaotic and your world is formless and, the, and, and God is always close. Yay! <laughs> Yea, God. We read it in Genesis where it says the earth was formless and empty and darkness was over the surface of the deep, if that sounds like your life. But the Spirit of God was hovering. The Spirit of God was hovering. And what does God begin to do? 
he begins to separate stuff, the chaos. Because when chaos is there, you don't know what's going. You don't know anything about causation. You don't know what happened. You don't know why you're here. You're confused. And if you're not careful, you'll try to figure it out and you're not supposed to figure it out. Don't try to figure out why you're where you are. Just grab the horns of the altar. Come to the throne of mercy. And just let God, over time, begin to help sort things out. Let him reveal to you what's going on. God separated dark from light. He separated the sky from the ground. He separated the ground from the water in this narrative. In other words, chaos, that everything's mixed up, God needs to begin to separate. And so the first thing you should do when you discern trouble is just simply come to God. Let him sort it out. Run to mercy. Don't cry for justice yet. You don't know of justice. Sometimes you don't want justice because sometimes justice means you're an idiot and you deserve this. Right? You don't want that. You just want to cry. Let God sort it. Don't try to figure out uh, whether it's you or someone else or the devil or the harsh world and you live. Just simply come to God. Here's a beautiful text, Psalm 46. God is a refuge and a strength and a what? ever-present help where? In trouble. See, we think if God was really present, we wouldn't be in trouble. But God is present even if you're in trouble. And that's good news. Then number two, simply recall the promises. There are hundreds of promises from everything from help in relationships to help with our finances to help with our sick bodies being made well. There's all these wonderful promises. The promises of God are invitations for us to trust him. So you hold on to mercy and they say, God, try to find some promises. There's somebody in your world that knows some. You know, if you don't know any, ask some friends that come to church, ask one of the people, you know, one of the clergy, whatever, say, hey, is there anything that covers this kind of thing? You'll find out there are. And then you can grab those promises and start putting them in your brain and dance with them and pray them and say, God, I don't know what's going on, but I'm trusting you to move in this situation. Here's a couple of beautiful verses. John 16, until now you have asked for nothing. You have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. Now that is a slap your mama sweet verse right there. I mean, it's overly simplistic. I mean, we'll see another text in a minute that's kind of... Uh, you know, sort of deals with, mitigates some of the openness of this text. Another one is Mark eleven twenty four. And if you were in Tulsa, Oklahoma, faith people, dude, this is like, this, I, I'm not sure Jesus wrote this here. It wasn't uh, Kenneth Hagin. But anyway, <laughs> therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you received it and it will be yours. What kind of promise is that? When you ought to ride into the sunset. That's the kind, right? Ride that thing. Somehow God's saying, whatever you ask for a prayer, if you just believe, somehow things will change. I love that. Now, again, this is not as simple as those verses suggest. That's why you have texts like James 4. You desire, but you don't have, so you kill. You covet, you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and you fight. You do not ask, or you do not have because you do not ask. And when you ask, you don't receive because you ask it with wrong motives. You mean spend it on your own pleasures. I mean, so there are some issues. When it says asking in faith, means that there's a kind of sense of humility and brokenness, and sometimes we're not that. Hmm. Just be careful who you're, whose voice you're listening to, I guess is what I'm saying, when you get in trouble. Who are you listening to? You listening to what people say about the trouble? Are you listening to people who are blaming others in it? Don't, don't listen to the wrong voice. Blessed is the person who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly but who's open to the word of God. 
So be careful what voice you're listening to when trouble comes. And then lastly, start doing the next right thing. Do something, sow some good. It might be attitudinally, it might be your behavior. I'm not talking about you being perfect here. We're just talking about you moving toward obedience and not rebellion. And here's the last thing I want to tell you. There's this beautiful promise of an Old Testament prophet to this king. And here's, here's what the prophet says. The Lord has much more for you than this. <laughs> Let that hit you a minute. The Lord, John, has much more for you than this. The Lord has much more for you than this. I, I think God is still saying that to us. What, you, what are you going to do about that is the question. Do you want to win more? Do you want to see good days? I mean, the Bible actually promises that whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good, de- good days, it says, keep your tongue from evil, your lips from speaking lies, turn from evil, do good, seek peace and pursue it. What's he saying? You have more to say about your life than maybe what you think. You can actually steer your life into good. Life can get better for you sometimes. Maybe a lot of the time, not all the time. This is wisdom, not a law. So what I'm suggesting to you is that you can do something about what's going on in your life.